Welcome to the Aquarimax Audio Show with Russ and Kim. We provide information on all kinds of aquarium-related topics. This is episode 328, recorded 8th of May, 2017. I almost said March, sorry. Greetings, Aquarimaxers. That's okay. March wasn't that long ago. No. And we've been kind of behind lately. We've been doing like a week off, a week on. It's been a little nuts. It is. Life has been approximately 17.3 times more complicated lately. Yeah, so we're hoping maybe it will cut back to like 15 times instead of 17 and then maybe it will be normal. It would be an improvement. Anywho, we do have a couple people to talk about today. Yes. We have, and I apologize because I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this name. It looks like Serge. S-E-R-G-E mm-hmm. in hey, Spokane, noises. Washington. And we have South Shore Bob in Boston. Yeah, and Serge is a new contributor, mm-hmm. and South Shore Bob is a returning contributor. Indeed, and did you have stuff to tell us, too? Well, there's the one news that the you wanted to mention. Remember that? That we just found out? Mm-hmm. Okay. You want to do that first? Sure, or should not? we do we make them wait with bated breath? That's up to you. You, you do how you want. I don't know. That's too much power for me to have. I might get maniacal. Okay. You pick. Well, let's go ahead then okay. and do this part. Okay. Okay, Serge in Spokane, Washington. He says, Greetings, I was just watching one of your videos about nerite snails. In last January, I added a zebra nerite snail to my 10-gallon freshwater tank. Until a month ago, it was crawling all over the place, but mostly submerged in the water. Then it started crawling up and above the water, where it stays all the time. Twice I gently nudged it back into the water, but it immediately went back up and into the air. The tank is covered, so the nerite doesn't risk falling out, but I am puzzled and worried that maybe the water is making it uncomfortable. The chemistry test's okay, but the pH is a bit high at 7.8. As of March, the water is also getting relentlessly clouded with algae, and repeated water changes and adding algae control liquid doesn't seem enough to stop this. Could binarite be reacting to excess algae? It clearly has changed behavior a month ago. The tank is not too crowded, has six little neons and two zebras. Thanks for any advice. Kind regards. Okay, so I asked uh, Serge some questions about this and suggested that maybe the algae remover was irritating the nerite and whether there were live plants in the tank and some other questions and then he replied yep he says um thanks so much russ for your reply the algae in my aquarium looked like greenish fog i assume it is a single cell type i've changed the water three to four times in the last month each time adding a required dose of conditioner dechlorinator and about tea or excuse me two teaspoonfuls of aquarium salt it didn't help that much four days ago i poured in a dose of aquion algae remover it has 4.5 percent polyoxylethylene dichloride until yesterday the water looked still a bit foggy so i added a dose of api AccuClear, and within an hour the water became crystal clear. I don't see any signs of algae now. There are no live plants, just fakes. Yesterday I tested phosphates. The amount showed at 0.1 part per million. Hard to visually match among very pale parts in the color scale, so it's my best guess. Is that too high for the nerite? 
It had been sitting for three days outside the water, so last night I nudged it again back to the bottom. Right away it started crawling up, so at least it showed that it was still alive. This morning it is back on its favorite spot above the water. At nearby pet stores they've seen an airite spend much time in the air, but eventually return to the water. Mine doesn't return. I will do another water change and vacuum, and we'll stop adding the algae remover and AccuClear. What else can you advise? Much appreciating your help. Okay, so I asked some more questions about lighting in the photo period and the phosphates. Um, in the tap water. In the tap water, and this is what we got. He says, the light source is an array of LEDs built in aquarium cover, shining bright white. Initially, I kept it on for about 14 hours, but now for just six to seven hours daily. I have been changing the water and vacuuming every other week, but in April, almost weekly, I checked the tap water for phosphates and it showed zero. The fish food is mostly omega-1 flakes and sometimes dried or frozen worms. I have two tiny African frogs. The worms are meant for them, but the fish are quick to snap that feast for themselves too. Not long ago, I was also feeding live worms, which promptly buried themselves in the gravel. The last vacuuming a few days ago took their remains out. Okay, and this gave me a little more information. With uh, 14 hours a day of the light, I suggested he look into a siesta period, uh, because without live plants in the tank, he doesn't really need 14 hours. Um, he could even, uh, with that kind of situation, you could say, I'm going to have the lights on for three hours when I'm most likely to see it in the morning, and then three hours when I'm most likely to see it at night for a total of about six hours on. And then like just he have reduced a, that. Yeah, and he did, he did reduce the, the photo period, but um, six to seven hours daily, but you could put a space in between mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So you have oh. it on three hours in the morning and then have it off for a number of hours and then three hours again when you're most likely to see it so that that can help even more than just reducing the photo period which is good but a siesta period can be even better so that could help with the algae and I, it does sound like the the algae remover could be a factor and the phosphates I suspect are coming from the fish food probably um, well almost certainly coming from the fish food they're not in the water Uh, And I also mentioned to him that uh, the African frogs, it's like he has observed, the fish will often steal most of the food from the frogs and they won't get very much. They can actually starve to death fairly easily, and that happens quite a lot in tanks with the African frogs that are mixed with fish. So there are things you can do, and one of them, you can actually net out the frogs and put them in a temporary holding container a couple of times a week to feed them, and just put them in there and let the... uh, and add the food and let them eat and then once they've eaten their fill then you can you know gently release them back into the tank with whatever food is left and the fish will finish that off if you do that two or three times a week the frogs get enough food and they they do okay instead of um, slowly starving to death so hopefully that helps and you're able to get take care of the algae and the nerite will be doing better you can let us know yeah okay south shore bob in boston He said, I started listening again. I have a lot of catching up to do. Congratulations on your 200th, by the way. I think he means 300, but... Oh, okay. Um, I'll comment on the Apistos and Angels tomorrow or the next. Glad you're still alive. So, South Shore Bob is back with us. Welcome back. And he did indeed get back to us with a message about the Angels and Apistos for Oscar in Sweden. Okay. He says, for the past month, I've been listening quietly in the back. Nice to talk to you again. Here are my thoughts on Osgar's apistil situation. There are 92 and counting apistogramma species, and I've only kept a few. Agassizi, Cacotoides, 
Combre and Borelli, so I will only comment on these. Because epistles are cichlids, they protect their young by carving out their own territory. For some cichlids, this means attacking everything in sight, but for epistles, this means hiding their fry and attacking only if they are approached. Agassizes are the exception. Individual males of this species can be quite aggressive toward tank mates. I would think a 100-gallon tank would provide enough privacy for a pair or two to breed and possibly raise their young, but a lot of this would depend on how big and hungry the angelfish are. Angels love to eat small fish. If you introduce a pair of them, give... Oh, excuse me. If you introduce a pair, give them a favored breeding device, and it may help to erect a barrier, natural or unnatural, according to taste. Cockatoides love to lay eggs in a small tube. PVC is fine with an Indian almond leaf rolled up inside. The female chooses a space that seems impossibly small for her, and she seems to favor an opening that excludes the male. He fertilizes the eggs by fanning his sperm into the tube. If you still want agassizes, they love inverted flower pots with a drainage hole at the top. You can remove the eggs in the female by removing the pot. She won't abandon ship. I forget what breeding devices the other species like, but in nature many epistogrammas lay eggs among leaf litter. Here are some advantages to keeping epistos. My epistos weren't fussy eaters, and they didn't eat me out of house and home, but if yours insist on live food, I'm sure they'll take earthworms. Unlike other cichlids, epistos don't need practice becoming parents. They're usually good from the first brood on. The babies can be fed baby brine shrimp immediately. With the possible exception of agassizes, most fish stores will pay to take them off your hands as they're very popular fish. Some of the fish fetch high prices due to rarity or beautiful strains developed by a breeder. Ooh. Excellent information. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I'm sure Oscar will appreciate it. Yeah, so we'll help him have some more information to figure out what he's doing yeah what he wants to do right so i have a little bit of information that i would like to share about one tank i think i mentioned last time that i got my uh julitochromis into the tank i intended to put them in and it works out pretty well as far as the fish are concerned there are the uh, gold barbs that i've had forever in there acting as target fish, but they're not really harming them. They just chase them around a little bit once in a while. There are the multis that uh, seem to be holding their own quite well. And then there's the pair of Julitochromis, which do seem to be maintaining their paired mons still. In fact, it seems like they're staying together more and more. And they've picked the cave I was hoping they'd pick. At least they're using it quite a bit, but they also move to the other caves as well. But the main problem is that the multis are digging down through the sand to get to the um you know they're burying their shells but as they do they hit the egg crate that's supposed to be there to protect the bottom of the tank from possible falling rocks but what it does uh, it, it well this creates a problem because you see a whole bunch of egg crate right under the shells and it's not aesthetically very uh pleasant so i'm not sure what i'm going to do but it's rather frustrating that way, but as far as uh, the how they're getting along in the tank, everybody's doing famously. But now I just have to decide if I'm going to move things around because I really don't like the fact that all that egg crate is showing. It so kind of... It's jarring. Yeah, it detracts from the aesthetic effect. So, uh, you have some news. Well, we have some... Well, I don't know if it's we, exactly news yet. Well, sort of. We had sent, or, an e or Russ had sent an email a while ago to a certain scientist in a university who studies parthenogenesis, yes? Mm -hmm. 
um, to ask him about Tiki and her little one, because we did finally manage to get skin samples, shed skin scam- samples from both of them, and he finally did get back, and he just hadn't gotten the email yet, because, you know, emails run away and hide under... Yeah, there's some problem with the website, yeah. something, but... Um, but so he did say that he would be happy to take the samples, mm-hmm. which is exciting. And said so we'd been preserving them the right way, I guess. He said, yeah. in Ziploc bags, that's what we did, yeah. so... So we're going to mail those off to him mm-hmm. and see what he says. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. Yep. And he says there that I think he says he has one other case of crested gecko parthenogenesis he's been working on. But that's pretty good that we've got. If this is the second one yeah. ever, that's pretty neat. So cool news. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we will get a confirmation. Yeah, that would be cool. I would like that. All right. Well, um, I think that's all we have for this week. Uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind week, so um, if you have things that you would like to discuss, just send things in. Uh, if you'd like to be interviewed, let me know. Uh, we kind of uh, have slacked off in the interviews the last month or so, uh, and it would be nice to get some more in. So um, until next time, ladies and gentlemen. May the fish be with you. <laughs>